0: Good morning. Oh. Laughter? That's not what you're supposed to do when someone sneezes. Like, hilarious, he's got a cold. What a lovely group of people. Well, do you know what we found some people in the Bible even worse than you? And we're gonna read their story this morning. I still got- I was like, someone, someone will say, No, none of you. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> that, that doesn't count. <laughs> Honestly. Well, we're going to read a story this morning that has soap opera level shock and skullduggery about it. And um, it will make your eyebrows raise, I would imagine. But I think the most interesting part about this story is probably not the first bit that you're going to notice. Um, we're doing a preaching series uh, looking at a letter in the New Testament which looks back to the Old Testament and the faith, the trust in God, displayed by some of the people who the Old Testament tells us about. And those people are often referred to as the heroes of faith. But because they're very normal people, uh, we thought we, uh, they're not superheroes, we thought we'd call our series, Not All Heroes Wear Capes. And to be honest, today's characters, they are barely heroes at all. It's an episode from the history of Abraham's family. And um, these were the people chosen by God to become a nation uh, through whom uh, God would speak to and bless the whole world. But at the time, at the start of the story, it's just Abraham and his wife, Sarah, A little later, they have a son uh, who carries these promises on. He's called Isaac. And then he, in his turn, has uh, twins, Esau the older and Jacob the younger. Now, of those two, God chose Jacob to be the one through whom all the promises that he had made to Abraham and Isaac would be fulfilled. It was through Jacob and Jacob's family that this nation would come about. He would inherit what God had given to his father but Isaac his father preferred Esau. Esau was a man of the outdoors, he was a real man's man, he was a hunter and he would go out and kill animals and bring them in and then his father would get to eat them. So his father thought this was a great deal I really like this son. Jacob was he's just a bit more domestic shall we say. For those of us who, who like the outdoors outdoors, uh, he's on our kind of side. He's more of a, an inside kind of guy and he was his mother's favourite. And um, he was also a schemer a real schema. And early, uh, previously, uh, his brother had once come in from hunting, clearly not hunted particularly successfully that day, was really hungry. And Jacob is cooking. And Jacob says, Well, I'll give you some of my food if you give me your birthright. So if you give me all the rights and duties that come of being the firstborn, Esau had those. And Esau's like, I don't care. I just want soup. Now, well, I'd say it's soup. That's being a little unfair on him. Uh, stew, sorry. So, I mean, we all know what it's like to feel really hungry. Um, If you get hangry, uh, you understand that as well. But still, Esau's just like, yeah, I don't care. I think I'm going to die. Just give me some food. And Jacob's like, fine, I'll take your birthright then. And that he would take the rights and responsibilities and the inheritance. Despite all this, Isaac still wants Esau to get the inheritance And that takes us to our story in Genesis 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, "'My son,' and he answered, "'Here I am.' And he said, "'Behold, I'm old. I do not know the day of my death.'" Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I might eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. My soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, That's an awful thing to do. No, he didn't say that at all. He said, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Just to be clear, that's a lie. Okay, You're not supposed to do that. I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. So just to be clear on this, this isn't just a lie. This is now blasphemy as well. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. And said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down before you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that he may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Isaac heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing." Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob, which means deceiver, for he's cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. Behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I've made him Lord over you and all his brothers I've given to him for servants and with him grain and wine I've sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to him, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now, Some of you are going to spend the rest of our time together just amazed that that story is in the Bible at all. Because you think that the Bible is uh, stories about good people doing good things. And it's not. It's much more realistic about that. It's, It's about bad people being rescued by a good God. It's about people doing things that they shouldn't, but God doing things that he should and can and only he can and rescuing them. And this is great news for all of us here. Because although we might look at Jacob and think, that is really rank bad behaviour, all of us are sinners. All of us do things wrong. All of us go against what should be done. There's only one perfect person, and that's Jesus. And through his life and death and resurrection, he took all that we deserved, all that we should have received from God, Jesus took it in our place. And all that Jesus deserved from God, he has shared with us. And his father wasn't tricked into that at all. It was their plan from eternity that the undeserving would be blessed and the innocent would suffer. But what we're going to focus on is what the writer to the Hebrews, the letter that we're looking at uh, over the summer, what he draws our attention to about this story. And it's perhaps an unusual choice. There's a lot to talk about here. This is what he chooses to talk about. Hebrews 11, verse 20, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Though he was physically blind, Isaac looked into the future. He saw ahead, and that is something that we do by faith. And it might not seem that Esau got much of of a future blessing, but actually he did become prosperous. His descendants did become a nation. So there was a blessing that went to him in a way. And Jacob's story had a lot more ups and downs uh, before it came to its ending. But he did carry that promise of God and he was the one, uh, it was through his children that the nation of Israel came to be. It's this word blessing that I want us to look at this morning. It's a word that Christians use a lot, and I don't think we always necessarily know what we mean when we say it. So sometimes, only sometimes, mind, we say it when people around us sneeze. (laughs) Not always. Depends how we feel about the person, I imagine. (laughs) We say it about other things as well. We say it, Sometimes we see the news and we see something about it. We say, oh, bless them. And, or, or, that, or those kind of, or we say to someone, they, they do something nice. We say, oh, you've really blessed me with that. But I don't think we really know what this word means. And I think if we understood it better, we would understand more of God's heart towards us, more of his attitude towards us. And we would also understand, I think we'd be keen, more keen to bless people. If we understood what it is, that we could be doing. Because here's the thing that I I think is really interesting about this story. All the skullduggery is kind of interesting, but we're used to people being like that. What's really interesting, I think, is is the the power that there is in blessing and the particularity that there is in blessing. Because why, when Isaac realises that he's been deceived by Jacob and Esau has only now arrived, why does Isaac not just say, Matt, that rat of a brother tricked me, but don't worry, I'll say the blessing again now and you'll get it. Why doesn't he say that? Instead, what he says and what he implies is basically, I had something and I don't have it anymore. I've given it away. In the same way that Esau comes in with this huge load of food for Isaac but discovers his father is already full, so Esau comes in expecting to be given something by his father and his father says, I have nothing left. Because blessing tends to be something that we say, it's a word that we use, we don't really think that it has any weight to it or any reality. It's just a word. Now obviously we can use words that are powerful because of what they mean and what what associations that we particularly have with them and they can make us feel good or they can make us feel bad and we talk about the power of words and that's right. If people use the word love or hate uh, towards you, uh, you will feel differently according to that. That's the power of the word. Saying words like mother and father will mean different things to different one of us and has a power. For some of us right now, the word lunch just has such power uh, to it. Father for others, whenever we hear the word bagpipes, it just does something to us. Words have power, sure. But in this story, blessing is far more than a powerful word. What we've just seen, what we've just read about, is not about a powerful word being used. It is an event. Something happened. And this, I think, is what God wants us to understand more about blessing today. So, I'm going to take us on a quick tour through the Bible to deepen our understanding of what this word means and to give us faith to use it more. We'll look at two questions what is blessing and how can we bless? So, what is blessing? The way we're looking at it, the angle we're taking, is blessing is something that comes to us from God. A blessing is power for life. In the words of one theologian, he describes it as it's the life force of creation that makes abundance possible. Blessings are an extension uh, and an intensification of God's creation. He made this world full of goodness for us to discover and enjoy and use. And blessing is when he turns that up. He turns up the the impact of it. He turns up the the amount of it. Uh, He turns up the timing of it. Blessings are God's goodness made present in our lives. The riches of his strength, of his authority, of his abundance are shared with us, are given to us. We tend to put most success that we experience down to cause and effect. I worked hard and this was the result of it. And there's a lot of God's creation that works that way. It's meant to work that way. You reap what you sow. But blessing is an interruption of this or at least least, it is an acceleration of this. So something happens, something is received, something is done that is more than the natural way of things. Now, in the Old Testament, the main way of understanding blessing was in the material world, was in the things around us. You could think of the three, I guess, main places of blessing in the Old Testament as being uh, the field, the home, and the body. The Old Testament was written to people who they were a farming culture. They had their fields, which is where they grew their produce so that they could eat and live and hopefully sell and make a living. And so blessing in the field, uh, for us, would equate to success in your work. Blessing in the home uh, meant a growing family. And blessing in our bodies would mean health and long life. And this is when the Old Testament talks about blessing. This is usually what it has in mind. Blessing means fruitfulness. It means multiplication. It means success. And these things are right there at the very beginning of creation when God makes us. They are his intention for us. Genesis one twenty seven to twenty-eight. God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over every living thing. This is what life is meant to be like. This is what we are meant to experience. Abundance, increase, victory. And that's why if you aren't experiencing those things, you feel like something is wrong. Maybe you're not a Christian. You've spent your whole life being like, why does there seem to be this gap between my expectation and the reality that basically everyone ever has ever experienced and that I am experiencing as well? The answer is because you weren't made for a world like this. You were made for a world like Genesis 1. You were made for a world of life and fruitfulness and abundance. That's how it's supposed to be. And that is what God is like. And actually, we're meant to be like him. And a blessing is a moment when God gives us some more of himself to make us more like himself. So a lot of this is material in the Old Testament. Now, some Christians feel a bit uncomfortable about that. Some are really comfortable with it, too comfortable, and some are uncomfortable. We deal with the uncomfortable ones first. Because they separate the physical and the spiritual in a way that I don't think the Bible separates them. They see physical things as a necessary evil at best. They think that fasting is holy because it involves going without. They think feasting can't be holy because it involves getting a lot. But God teaches us something, I think, much more complex than that. and requires our wisdom to understand what it is that we're experiencing and receiving. The Bible says every good thing comes from God. And it talks about the Old Testament, it's clear, good things of life and abundance and fruitfulness are from God. So we can't say, oh, God doesn't want me to have that. It's like, well, no, they're from him. And if we receive goodness in our field, in our home, in our body, we should gladly give thanks to the blesser for those things. But what Christians shouldn't do is... Consider those material things to be the happy ending, to be the point. They are signposts. They're not the destination. And that's what the so-called prosperity gospel, it's not gospel at all really, but it's what the prosperity gospel gets wrong. It's what advertisers get wrong. It's what most social media that says hashtag blessed gets wrong. It says, if you have this thing, you will be happy the end. You have made it. This is where we want to get to. This is the end point, to be rich, to be happy, to be in love, to to have all that you need. But the thing is, the food runs out and the money isn't enough and the smiles fade and our hearts are still restless. Because as good as some of those blessings are, they, they aren't everything. So when Jesus came to be amongst us, to show us the fullness of life, he transposed our understanding of what blessings are. The principles of fruitfulness, of multiplication, of success, of life. Jesus said, those are the blessings. That's what blessing is like. There's a multiplying, there's a fruitful, there's success. There's but the end goal of these blessings is now much clearer. And that's what's going on with his famous teaching about blessing, which doesn't really sound like blessing at all. In Matthew 5, he says a bunch of these things. um, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, some of those, you might think, I can see a little bit of blessing in them. And by a little bit, I mean people will think I'm nice if I do them. But blessed? No one gets paid a lot for doing any of those things. In fact, Jesus is suggesting the opposite. You're going to suffer for those things. But wait, Jesus says. Let me show you what those who are presently faithfully suffering in those ways for me, will receive when heaven comes fully to earth, finally and forever. Here's the full story, Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus moves the location of blessing from the present to the future. All that God has, he will share with those who put their faith in Jesus and follow him in those ways. The kingdom will be theirs. Comfort will be theirs. Satisfaction will be theirs. Status actually will be theirs. Relationship. Will be theirs. Reward will be theirs. Because the blessings coming to faithful believers are so spectacular, so great, so game-changing, so massively better than anything we could experience in this prison life. Jesus describes those who are going to receive them as blessed right now. He doesn't say they will be blessed when he says, now you're blessed because this is what's coming to you. Even though it might not look like it to us. Assessing how blessed someone is cannot be done by looking at their present experience. But again, clearly, blessing is actual, these are things that will happen. Let's look at so we're going to hold these two things about blessing together. It could be here and now, it may well be and will be better when it is there and then. But there and then, it's coming to the here and now one day, so that's good news anyway. But the, these two things exist together. And Let me just show you why I think we've got to hold both of them. We look at the two times when Jesus blesses bread. Now, what could represent our current material needs better than bread? Like, if I have bread, I can make it through the day, by and large, you know, with all caveats about gluten and so forth. Um, you may be familiar with the story. There was a large crowd, thousands of people. They'd gathered around Jesus, and they didn't have any food left. They were a long way from anywhere that was going to give them any food. And Jesus, because he loves them, thinks, well, these guys need food. And the disciples do a count-up, and they're like, we've got like five loaves and two fish left. This isn't very much. This isn't going to work. Peter's like, it's enough for me. I don't think it's enough for anyone else. So here's what Jesus does. Watch this. I think it's really interesting. Matthew 14 Jesus ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Now we read this story as a miracle, which of course it is. But it is also a perfect illustration of the life power of blessing at work in multiplication. Jesus blesses the bread and it does far more than anyone would ever have anticipated. The blessing of God brings multiplication. It brings fruitfulness. Now, the other time he blesses bread. Another famous moment. It's the night before he is going to be... Crucified. It's the night before he is going to pay the price for our sins. It's the night before he gives himself that we might be saved. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and, after blessing it, broke and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. The life power that is at work in that loaf is eternal. Jesus fed thousands for a day with the five loaves and the two fish. He is feeding billions for eternity with his body that he gave for us. And both of them, the blessing does something that affects us, that we receive the goodness of God. I'm not saying that that bread, that when we take communion here, that something happens to that bread, but God blesses us through doing that. And both these things, the multiplied bread and the bread of life, are blessings and come from blessing and are from God. So this, I think, is what's going on when we, when we bless. So how can we do that? How can we bless? Because this is an important point. The Bible shows us that God blessing us isn't the end of the story. God's blessings aren't meant to end with us. He said to Abraham, one of the first things he said to Abraham was, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonours you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God pours out his blessing on us so that, well, not just so that we are blessed, but so that others will be blessed through us, and this is the point that prosperity teaching completely misses. The preacher says God wants you to be rich. The Bible says God only wants you to be rich if you're going to give it all away. So it's really half the message that's most. God wants you to have these things. He only wants you to have those things so that you will give them to other people. Two Corinthians nine eleven. Okay, this is just the answer to all of it. If you're ever like, oh, I'm not sure if it's true or not, you will be riched in, in, you will be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way. Which feels to me at the end of the day, you're going to end up with, at best, a tiny amount more than you had before. What is poured out onto us is then meant to flow out of us to others. It's the economy of God, it's how He works. We're blessed to be a blessing. I will bless you, he says to Abraham, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God is always wanting to work with us. He's always wanting to involve us in his great project of blessing people, of doing people good. We're to be agents of his blessing. That means that Christians should be intentionally and frequently blessing people, looking to say, who can I bless? How can I bless them? And what we've seen today, I hope, is that thinking how can I bless someone is, usually when we think that, we think how can I be nice to that person? Which is really good. So how could I bless that person? What could I do? I could say a kind word. I could give them a gift of some time uh, or some resources. I could help out in some way. That would bless them. And it really would. But we've seen today that blessing is more than that. It's not less than that, but I think it's more than that. It is an interruption, an amplification of divine power suddenly at work in someone's life. We started with Isaac's blessing of Jacob. He gave something. It was intangible, but it was real. He had it and then he didn't have it because Jacob then had it. It was something direct from God. And so I want to focus our attention as we finish up now on how we can bless people in these ways. Supernatural, for want of a short, shorthand description of all that we've looked at today. How does this happen? It happens firstly by faith. By what we see. Isaac blessed Jacob by faith, Hebrews 11.20 tells us. He believed, he trusted God that something would be given to the one he was blessing that something was happening when he blessed. That's a moment of faith. And blessing isn't a magic trick. It isn't say the right words and something amazing will happen. And it's not natural cause and effect. It's not a process with an outcome that we could explain through psychology or science or any of those uh, legitimate ways in which the world mostly works. I'm saying blessing is an interruption to these things. When we bless someone, we believe that we're involving God in their life. That his life power, that his abundance, that his victory will be at work in them. Now, maybe, forever. We hope so. We believe so. So the, all, any blessing that's a real blessing has to come from faith. And, and faith comes from hearing the word of God and understanding what we're doing. And that's what I've been endeavouring to do for us this morning so that you could bless people with real faith. Second thing to do is that we speak blessing. This is what Isaac did, and Jacob received a blessing when he did that. He didn't say, could you do something else to make this happen? He said, it's done. A blessing is like, uh, there's a phrase, a performative utterance. So when God said, let there be light, there was, because he had said it. It wasn't, let there be light, now let me start making this happen. Let there be light, pause. Then No, no, let there be light, there was light. When Jesus said a blessing over bread, something happened to it. In that moment, something happened. When Isaac blessed Jacob, he received something. So when you say to someone, I bless you, you have done something to them. You haven't just said something. It's nice that you said it, but I think something more may have happened. You may have a specific blessing in mind. You say, I bless you with healing. I bless you with knowing the love of God. I bless you with uh, that new job you needed. I bless you with faith to endure as you're uh, suffering for your faith. God may give you those kind of things. You have a confidence that he wants to bless someone very particularly in those ways. But in which case, say so. By all means, say so. You can also use formulas that are given to us in God's Word, which indicate how God wants to bless us. In the New Testament, Paul's famous sign-off in his second letter to the Corinthians, he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. That's a blessing. He's saying those things, the grace of Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship, the presence of the Holy Spirit be with you. That is a blessing. It's not just a nice way of ending a letter. The high priests in the Old Testament, number six, were given this blessing to say over people. "Say, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Yeah, it's not, oh, that sounds nice. No, those things to happen to you, to happen to this person that I'm saying them to So I try to memorize them so if someone says, would you pray for me, I can bless them in these ways. I I think it's great. I think it's been so good having the kids in. I would pray those blessings, particularly that number six. I pray those blessings over the children you know. There's so much in it that God can then get involved with. Thirdly and finally, we actually can lay our hands on one another to bless one another. Because hands are so involved in work, and certainly uh, in agricultural societies, we're essential. Our hands symbolize our strength. They symbolize what we have in us. I might not have much in me. By yourself, probably true. But if God has blessed you, what comes out of you could be extraordinary. And I think it's also really important in our culture that has... It's just really unclear on, on, on what's real and what's virtual, uh, on, on physical and simulation and the difference between those things. We're, that we're having a lot of really important understa- discussions about that as our technology advances. And there's something very powerful, actually, about a physical human hand being placed on the shoulder of another human being. So I'm, I am connecting to you. I, th- I think it's important in our present moment. But even if it wasn't, Jesus did it. So let's do it. Matthew 19 says he laid his hands on children to bless them. Now if you're a parent, there's many reasons you might want to lay your hands on your children. But do this one, to bless them. And he laid his hands on sick people to heal them. And so the first Christians did the same. They put their hands on sick and oppressed people and those people were healed and were set free. They put their hands on believers who had not yet experienced the presence and the power of God. And those believers received the Holy Spirit, God himself powerfully at work in them. They put their hands on people to commission them and to give them gifts of the Holy Spirit so that they would do what God had called them to do. They blessed them through the laying on of hands and they were blessed. And so we do all these things too. Intentionally, with faith with all the understanding of God's wisdom and everything else going on. But we do these things believing that he will bless people. I heard a story recently uh, from uh, New Day, the, 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 the youth event that many of our young people go to. A guy there just really struggling, just uh, voices in his head worse than normal, kind of saying destructive things to him, saying restrictive things to him, just not letting him get involved in any of this worship and praising of Jesus that was going on. And, and, and someone just put their hand on him. And in that moment, he said, that voice, whatever it was, that had been there for a very long time, went. Gone, and he has been transformed. He's been set free. Now, God could have done that any which way he wanted to, but he chose to do it by the laying on of someone's hand. Because when you bless someone, you really do something. King Midas, everything he touched turned to gold. Christians, it's not, it's not a cash machine, it's not automatic, but the things we touch are blessed because God has poured his blessing into us. We want it to flow out to others. Now, your colleague or your neighbor uh, may not be expecting you to offer that when you're talking with them, when they're saying things that are going on in their lives that are difficult or, or challenging. And we've seen already the spoken word of blessing is mightily powerful. But I think it's sometimes worth asking if you've got the opportunity. would you mind if I just put my hand on your shoulder and just, uh, just blessed you? You might just see that they've got a keenness about it themselves. Certainly for us here who are Christians to believe that God wants to bless us, which surely we should, I, I'd encourage you to be open to it because I just think, God loves working through these ways and through one another. And again, this, just, this makes a real community connection. We've done that as we've worshipped this morning. It was so helpful what Dan said at the start, wasn't it? It's like Obviously, when we worship, we're mostly it's me and God. But today was so powerful because it was us and having to adjust to one another more consciously, perhaps, than normal. And I think laying hands on one another does that. It says, God could bless me directly, but actually, he wants to bless me through you. And he wants to bless you through me. So who would have thought that so much was going on when we respond to someone sneezing? Blessing is a joyfully weighty word. It's more than that. It can be an event. It is a moment. It brings us into the heart of God who loves to bless. Blessing means life. It means multiplication. It means fruitfulness. It means success. Now, yeah, but definitely in the life to come. The blessings God pours into us, he wants to flow out of us into others. There are so many ways in which this could happen. Will you let God bless others through you? Isaac couldn't see what he was doing, but Jacob was still truly blessed. So let's look with eyes of faith to see what God is doing and wanting to do and how we can play our part in blessing that. Now, Jacob didn't deserve that blessing. But the grace of God is never about what we deserve. So let's be grateful for that. And let's also find other undeserving people who we can bless. Our time's done, but I think it'd be great if we could just stand. And if you and they are comfortable, you can work this out really quickly. Uh, just put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. And if they say, do you know what? This is, I, I don't really believe this. I'm not sure about this. That's really fine. We're so glad that you're here. Feel very free. And now why don't you just say to them, just maybe close your eyes, but just say to them, I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we believe that you've blessed us and you've blessed us that we might be a blessing. Oh God, won't you bless us with all that you've got? Won't you bless these that we are praying for right now? Bless them, God. Give them what they need. You know it. You know it. Lord God, you have all riches and abundance and grace in your hand. Now through our hands, give it to them. Lord, bless now and forever. Oh God. Oh God, would you give the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you give the love of God the Father? Would you give the fellowship of the Holy Spirit right now? For those who have never experienced him before, right now, Lord, we ask for the blessing of the Spirit's presence on people right now. Oh, would the Lord bless you? Would he keep you? Would he make his face to shine upon you? Would he be gracious to you? Would he lift up his countenance upon you? Would he give you peace? Would you be blessed? God, make us a people who are blessed and who bless others for the glory of your name. Amen.